Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to church on this beautiful Sunday, this beautiful weekend, really. We get a chance to be blessed today by being in worship, and I pray that you have a great time outside. Just please go outside today, right? Do, do something. No? Come on. Go outside and enjoy God's beautiful creation. We, um, as the hospitality team comes, if you... Um, are new to this place, we get to celebrate Holy Communion together. If you did not grab any of the bread or the wine, the communion elements, please raise your hand. They'd be happy to give that to you as, as they come up and down the aisle. We continue our series really that we started in May and June about bringing Jesus into every relationship. We talked about three of those things um, in May and June. We talked about noticing and praying and listening. We talked about how Jesus, the master uh, conversationalist, really. He taught us the skills of, of noticing, of praying, of listening, noticing that the people were helpless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd, praying to his heavenly father and praying for us, listening. And then we talked about last week, remember asking questions about having that holy curiosity, that God would give us that curiosity to ask questions with no agenda, just listening to people and hearing their story so that we would listen more than we speak. And then at that moment uh, where we feel the Holy Spirit's present, that people would need to hear the words of God, right? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And in all that, we're to love. And so uh, this weekend we're talking uh, about loving. And for those of you that have lived around Michigan for a long time, Maybe for those of you that are watching online, uh, you're not here, you're in Florida, you're in California, you're wherever you are, in your car driving and watching and, and whatever it is, but we want to welcome those online too. But for those of us that live locally, it is so true that there are only two seasons in Michigan. There's the long winter season, and then there's the construction season. Two seasons, winter and construction season. And if you are anywhere near church, this summer, you would know that to be true coming in and coming out of this place. I mean, cement trucks, water, you know, crushed rock, sand, gravel, whatever it is, it's just a, a mess, right? Can I have that agreement there? It's a mess. And, and so uh, I'm the guy in my family that cleans the cars, trying to teach my kids how to clean it thoroughly inside and out. So I clean the cars, and yes, I, I wash the scrub the floors and the toilets. That's, that's my job, and take out the trash, okay? Now you know. Um, but besides cleaning the car, well, so I'm cleaning the cars this summer, and my wife decides to go shopping, brand new car inside and out clean, right? She comes home. I help her with the groceries. What? What is that stuff? It's a mess already. And she goes, Oh, yeah, I was going down the lane, you know, that guy was with the hose spraying right there. I'm like, couldn't you just get in the other lane? But no, it's all just, it sticks, and it's gluey and sand and rock and yuck. And as I was thought about this as preparing my message, that's kind of what love is. It's that gluey, messy, sticky stuff that just binds things together. Scripture says... Colossians 3.14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Because love, if you don't have love when you notice somebody, right, what, what are we? If we don't have love when we're listening and we're praying and we're asking questions, what is it, right? It's nothing, right? I think 1 Corinthians says something about that, right? 
I don't have love, I'm just a sounding gong, right? It doesn't matter. I'm senseless. But love kind of binds all these spiritual arts together, and it opens doors. When we love one another through all these, it opens doors to share a wonderful, wonderful message that we have as Christ followers. What's that message? That God extravagantly loves all people. All people. He loves them. And he continues to love us. Praise God. Can I get an amen for that one? Amen. When we think about love, we think, you know, it's a feeling more than, or an emotion more than, you know, a choice. We think, ah, I love that person. But really, if you agree with me, love is a choice. Love is something that compels us to act. Love compels us to act. And it's active. And God describes how active he is in loving us in so many places in scriptures. Romans chapter um, 8 says it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He demonstrates while we are still sinners. Right? God loved us so much. What's the active part of that? He gave. Right? Faith, accompanied by love, if it's not accompanied by action... It's dead, the book of James says. Love shows itself in so many ways, with so many actions, with it diff- and it, it behaves differently with different kind of people. I read this uh, from Frederick Buechner, a theologian, or Buechner, it's the Germans in the, in the house can, can tell me how to pronounce that. He writes in his book, The Magnificent Defeat, he provides a perspective on it, and, and it goes like this. The love for equals is a human thing, a friend for friend, brother for brother. It's to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This compassion, this is compassion and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there's love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torture. And then he says, this kind of love is God's love. It conquers the world. Unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? What were they? Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. Those two greatest commandments. Not suggestions, but commands. And it's said eight times at least in the scriptures, love your neighbor. In Leviticus, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, in Romans, in Galatians, in James. Love your neighbor. Now if he's repeating that in the scriptures, not as a suggestion but a command, Whoa. I mean, that's the foundation to our Christian faith, isn't it? That the world would see us loving that way. Loving our neighbor. The ones that are like us. The ones that aren't like us. The ones who disagree with us. Man, you're not wearing a mask. You are wearing a mask. You didn't get vaccinated. You got vaccinated. I mean, in our conversations, to have love in that, come on. Loving the less fortunate, think about that. 
that could be difficult because we're prone to judge. I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I see somebody asking for money or asking uh, for food on the corner, I get a little judgmental. Because in the back of my head, I'm like, you're making more money than I am in this day, you know? But then I say, Lord, please help me. Help me. See that person. So what my wife does, she has these bags prepared in all our cars. You know, all these goodie bags, socks, food, whatever, that we can give to that person and say, God bless you. I mean, how about loving somebody more fortunate than you? Come on, how easy is that? That would be hard to do, right? And then Jesus puts in this kind of new category, as we read, but it's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Can you imagine him speaking to the crowd of people? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies who mistreat you, right? What? That's impossible. How can I do that? God, give me a heart to do that. And then as we follow Jesus and we hear the stories, we hear the stories of the first martyrs of the Christian church. Who's the first martyr? That's listed in the scripture. In book of Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, somewhere around there. Stephen. Stephen, you know what he said after he asked the Lord to receive my spirit? He says these words. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Then he was stoned to death. I mean, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then all throughout the centuries, we hear stories from Holocaust prisoners, right? From the underground church in China, from those Muslim converts that are coming out of Iran and Afghanistan, Iraq, all those places where they love and show love to their persecutors. It's incredible. Incredible. I pray, God, that happens to me toward any enemy, right? Help me to love that way. God's love is active. I'm going to go down a list for you right now, and I'm going to share some Bible verses. I don't have those listed. You can call me, email me, I can tell you those, but I'm going to say a Bible verse after each one, okay? God focuses on you and hears your prayers. How do I know? The Bible says, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, and the promise is I will answer. Jeremiah 33, God knows you well. He cares for you. All the numbers of the hairs on your head, he already knows, Luke 12, 7. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He continues to work in your personal life, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't know it, his hand is on you. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. God comforts and gives you peace and joy. How do I know? Romans chapter 15, 13, the Holy Spirit fills you with that. As you trust in him so that you might have that hope that overflows through the power of the Spirit. God stays with you even if you lose your way. Taking your own path over the one God created for you is going to get us lost. But he patiently waits for us to return. Joshua 1.9, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I love Jesus' words as he tells this story in Matthew 18.12. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the what? The 99 on that hill and go look for the one that wandered off. And of course, God 
love is so active that he makes a way for us to be with him for eternity. God loved the world that he gave, that he gave his one and only son. And then it goes on, God didn't come into the world, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's love is active. And I want, you, want to mention one more important uh, way I think God's love is active, and it comes more towards the Christian that becomes, or the adult that becomes a Christian in, in the adult life. Does that make sense? Not as a child, as you get baptized as a child, and then you are taught God's word. But as an adult, there's many times where we, we are thinking, you know what? I don't even got, I don't know if God's even around. Is he hiding somewhere? Is he even interested in me? I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm the one seeking God. I'm the one that's on the spiritual journey. I'm the one that's kind of trying to find him in different places, right? But he feels far off. But truly, what scriptures say paints a different picture. God's the one pursuing you. God's the one that made the choice to pick you as a follower. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says it this way, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. And if we think we're the ones that are the seekers, well, God says, no, I'm going to call you the ones that are sought after. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 12, you will be called sought after. God's love is an active love. That's the thread that goes through the scriptures, that he seeks us. He opens our hearts. That's the nature of God. And I love the way the message version of the scripture says it in Ephesians 1. I'll read it. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lash, lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious. Isn't that great? That's our God, a God that pursues, a God that gives faith, a God that loves us and won't stop loving us so that his love overflows in us. And when I think about that word overflow... I think about a bucket or a container, object lesson for the day. Glad you guys weren't here. The first uh, message, because I had to call an audible, it started to leak. That's what happens with me, you know. I'm Pastor Tony, remember? Lots of stuff happens, so. This is us, you. Without Jesus, we're empty, right? Without Jesus, we're empty. His love in our baptism as an infant, as an adult or whatever. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us saving faith. He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's adopted us. He's cleansed us. He's bought us at a price. He's done all that thing. And plus, he's given us everything that we need for our body and life. And guess what? Every day he gives us what? More and more and more of his blessing, of his goodness, of his abundance. And when that happens, what happens? It overflows. And it can't help but splash around and get wet everything and slosh around wherever it goes. That's God's love. Overflowing to overflowing. And I pray that you would know that each and every day. 
through who he's put around you, through his word, through being at church, it just spills out. And I realize that that might not be the way you're feeling today. But I'm hoping you're hearing God's love for you every day, even today. So that overflowing love, when I first um, decided to go to the seminary, uh, to stick around in St. Louis to be a, a called missionary pastor there, my family and I uh, were able to love a whole bunch of refugees from the country of Bosnia. So I'll show you a map here. Uh, it's in Europe, right across from Italy on the Adriatic Sea. Uh, it's one of the places where St. Paul would actually journey. If you ever read the words in the book of Acts, Illyricum, the word Illyricum, that's actually Bosnia uh, on a map. Bosnia, uh, back in the mid-90s, had the Balkan Wars. And what they say is that since World War II, it was one of the most deadliest conflicts in Europe. Lots of ethnic cleansing, if you heard that word, genocide, lots of horrific tragedies happened there. We were able to build relationships among the 50,000 Bosnian people uh, that lived in St. Louis. There's 70,000, I hear now. It's the largest contingent of Bosnian refugees outside the country. They live in St. Louis. Um, how did we do it? We taught English as a second language because they didn't, they couldn't speak, they couldn't read. Oh, I read English, barely, but I can read what, you know, the medical insurance has for you, how to get car insurance. I can hook you up with jobs because I know this person and that person. We can get you jobs. We can help you study for U.S. citizenship. They began to trust us and love us. They'd come over for meals. We would go to their house for meals. We would love them, regardless of their name only, nominal Muslim culture. But then they said, Tony, you got to go see my country. And when you go to see my country, I want you to stay with my mother and my father and my uncle and my sisters and my brother. So we based, we meaning my, my, my special, really close friend who, who passed away. This is Jerry Burke. And Jerry, if you're watching today, I love you. His wife passed away. He didn't pass away. Um, this summer, and he took me all around, uh, actually, we, we were doing this together, all around the places where we had relationships built, and we would stay in these homes, and here's the most paradoxical, kind of ironic part of, of being in, in this small country of Bosnia, um, because they're nominal Muslims in the villages, they have these mosques set up. Even after the war, uh, oil-rich uh, Muslim countries would help support their building of mosques and their giving of hijabs to the women, like 25 bucks a month to, to go and, and wear this. So they're nominal Muslims, meaning they don't practice. And the Muslim call to prayer rings out in, from the minaret tower in the village. You know, those chanting kind of sounds when, when, when they're calling time to prayer. Here I am in the middle of their living room, and I'm laughing, I'm talking, I'm drinking, I'm eating, and they want to know how their family is, and I want to know how they are, and we're trying, I'm trying to speak Bosnian, they're trying to speak English, and it takes, you know, an hour just to get, you know, some, some sense of, of meaning out of the conversation, but we're laughing, and they just totally ignored the Muslim call to prayer because of the love that we had for their family and the trust that they had to take care of us. And they took care of us. They fed us well. We really had a great time. Based on that love, it was awesome. I would stay a night or two uh, 
by the way, I was able and privileged to baptize 12 before I left to come here. Uh, not in that country, but in St. Louis. And, and so as I left, I got to give them St. Louis souvenirs like the arch or whatever else. But I also gave them God's word. And I gave them a message that we read in our affirmation. And it sounds like this. I'll, I'll try to read it in the Bosnian language. And this is love. Nismo mi voljeli Boga. Not that we loved God. Nego, no. Je on voli nas i poslo sina za grije. What does that say? No, because he loved us and sent his sina's son for our sins. That's awesome. They got to read that. They got to experience it. They got to say, who is this guy? This dark brown Filipino guy that can speak my language. I do, they're scratching their heads, and it's just awesome that God would give me, I think, a gift of being a, a jack of all languages, master of none. Really, that's, that's what it is. God's love was just captured in that way, and I just can't get over how love is so extreme that I would be in a Muslim home, all Muslim homes. God who loves us, Zephaniah 3.17. There's all kinds of imagery in the scriptures about God's love, a parent's love, a husband's love, all kinds, but I think they all fall short, but God yet still uses all these metaphors so we can understand. Listen to what he says. The Lord your God is with you, Zephaniah writes. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. The creator of the universe, the God of the universe, singing a song over us. Reminds me of my six kids who are about two years apart each time and I would take my oldest Lauren and Brandon and then I would take Ryan and Kristen. Then I would take Nate and Aaron. And Aaron was the one singing over here. Lauren was the one playing the keyboards. But, but Aaron goes, thanks for singing to me as I was a kid, Dad. You ruined my, 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 my singing. I'm like... <laughs> but the beautiful thing is this that I would, as a dad, rub their back. So we, basically what we did each night, right? We would brush teeth, we would read books, we would sing songs, say prayers. Brush teeth, read books, sing songs, say prayers. And I'd sing some of the Christian songs, Jesus Loves Little Children, all that kind of stuff, the day is done. But then I would sing my favorite, which isn't a Christian song, but to them it, it's my favorite. I'd sing the Lionel Richie one, truly, you know, girl, tell me only this, that I have your heart. For always, and I'd say boy too, but, but I'd rub their backs and I'd just rejoice over them with singing. It was awesome. Yeah. Now my oldest is 25. She just turned 25 yesterday. Thank you. That's awesome, Lauren. God bless you. Ephesians 3, 18 through 19 says it this way, how we are to grasp how much Paul, I mean, think about the Apostle Paul, zapped on the road almost, right? He falls down because of the light. And it, I could, like, Jesus what are you doing? He could just, he could do anything to Paul he wanted to do. But he said, no, you're going to be my servant. And I want you to know how much God loves you, even though you're killing Christians, right? How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What kind of love is that? Do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? I pray that you have. So that in tangible ways we might be able to go and bless others. Because the truth is from 1 John 4, 19, we love, we love because what? Because he first loved us. 
God's unconditional love. That's hard to believe sometimes. Even as a Christian person, even as a follower of Jesus, deep down we are all aware, aren't we? Deep down we're all aware of how unlovable we are. We are. Think about it. We spend millions and millions of dollars to cover up our unloveliness, our unlovableness, right? Anywhere from breath mints to plastic surgery, we spend all those dollars because we know deep down we're unlovable. And we're harsh critics of ourselves. We prone, are prone to judge ourselves, right? Dad, you can't sing. Okay, I got it. I know I can't, but boy, do I scream out when I'm there along with all of you. I mean, he loves us so much that he would demonstrate that love to us despite our shortcomings. He's madly in love with us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. I love that word demonstrate from Romans 5.8. It's important because it's active. He doesn't just talk about love, right? He doesn't just theorize that someday I'm going to love you if you do this. No, while we were still sinners, he loves you. We don't have to prove his love to him. No, after, right, right, we get his, his love and then we, we respond. We don't have to prove our worthiness before him. And that love goes to Muslims, it goes to Buddhists, it goes to hedonists, it goes to terrorists, it goes to people that you know in your job, in your school, in your family. I just think how true this statement is. He says, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. I love you. I love you. Isn't that great? As I prepared this message, a thought hit me that some of you listening out there might not truly believe that. And I understand it's hard to grasp that love of God. It's like this container, right? If we don't have that container filled up, how can it ever go and spill out to others? I get it. That's why we're here together, that we pray, God, fill me up today. Fill up my love tank, right? Fill it up. Because here's the truth of it is nothing you can do will make God love you any more than he already does. And nothing you can do will make him love you any less. He loves you infinitely. Praise God. Praise God. I have a story to tell about how these spiritual arts and love kind of interweaving, noticing and praying and listening and all these things together that we're called to love across every economic and spiritual and ethnic spectrum that there is. That sometimes it would cost us our time and our resources and our attention and make us be pushed out of our comfort zone, right? To sacrifice for Jesus. But how much did he sacrifice for us? How much does he give to me? There's a man that I'm reminded of uh, that I've told you about, and I've told a couple stories, but his name is Elio Borgi, and he's a, from the country of, of Bangladesh. And I want you to look on the screen just to get your bearings around where Bangladesh is. It's right near India. It's near Myanmar and Nepal and China, right? Bangladesh, if you get this picture, okay, that country is about the same square miles as the state of Iowa. Do you have the state of Iowa in your head, U.S. geography majors? Right? You got Iowa in your head. That is about the same square miles. How many people do you think live in Iowa? Detroit, the greater Detroit area is bigger than Iowa population, by the way. 3.1 million live in Iowa, 
Okay, now how many people you live, think live in Bangladesh? 165 million. 55 times the population of Iowa. 89% of that country is Islamic, 10% is Hindu, 1% is Christian, predominantly Roman Catholic. But here's my friend, Pastor Elio Borgi. We studied during COVID times outside near the Detroit River, but he's been uh, here for, for many, many years. He's been a part of our congregation for, for, for a long time. And what he did was left his ministry in Bangladesh to make money in the United States and pretty much send it all back for all these years because in Bangladesh, he and his wife Mary, you remember a couple years ago I told you Mary, his wife, was attacked in Bangladesh. Two years ago, he left here, sold his house, was gonna, went back to, to Bangladesh because his ministry, because of the devil's work, just kind of collapsed. But he's slowly rebuilding it, okay? Mary stayed over there, was on a visa that, that expired. She's doing well, but we're trying to, to have that situation work out. Uh, but he's going over there in November, praise God, for a good reason. 500 men, women, and children are ready to be baptized. That's awesome. 500. Did you hear that? I mean... It's incredible what the privilege, he, he has 3,000 Christians right now, five pastors all around the country of Bangladesh, a, a bunch of preaching stations, Christian tutorial schools where these, these young kids are taught, you know, reading and writing in, in English or Bangladesh, you know, language. And then afterwards, they go to these schools, hear the word of Jesus, get to sing song, get a little food, and, 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 and they love their families. That's the way it works in, 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 in Bangladesh. And I had the privilege during COVID to uh, start in the United States a, uh, a nonprofit uh, organization called Bengali Lutheran Mission Society. And so if you want to look at that sometime today, Bengali Lutheran or this week, uh, you can see it's still developing. So there's not a lot of stories. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. I feel like a Jonah. Okay. Why do I feel like a Jonah? Because after 2012, I told God, oh yeah, I told God, who am I to say something to God? I, I don't never want to go back to, ever to, to Bangladesh. Guess where God's leading me to go back to? Bangladesh. By God's grace, I hope that next year sometime when this COVID is over, that we'll be able to support uh, Elio. You remember Pastor Joe's uh, uh, four campaign that we do pretty much every year for only 1995? right? A one-time gift. We're going to be able to bless these congregations or these ministries. Well, Elio's ministry is going to be part of that. It's that when they get baptized, they get a little gift, they get a little food, and they get uh, um, uh, God's Word in their hand. And so we're hoping that as we take that collection this year, we'll pray over Pastor Elio in November before he leaves, that we'll be able to bless that ministry. You'll get to hear about that. It's amazing how we develop, how Jesus, the master spiritual conversationalist, right, helps us with noticing, helps us with listening and praying and asking questions and then weaving it all together. The thing that binds everything is God's love. That's what you and I get to have. That's what we get our privilege to, to have Holy Communion now because Jesus is saying right now, today, I want you to know and feel God's love. So here's the thing. Love God, love neighbor. How well did you do that this week? 
It's okay because you get a chance right now to bow your head, your heads, close your eyes, and just say, Lord, I know that there are so many times that I don't do the things that you call me to do. And the things that you call me to do, I don't. So there's sins that we commit and there's sins that we are omitting. Like we don't do the things that you call us, so it's sins of omission and commission. So God, all these that are on our hearts, we just lay at your feet right now. Bible's truth is that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But when we confess our sins, he's faithful in his love, just in his love to forgive because of Jesus. So as you make that confession, know that your sins are truly forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Before I speak the words of institution, remember you don't have to take it at your seat. If you want to draw near and closer to the altar, you can take those elements with you and kneel. You can take them at your seats and then you can can come down here as well. The altar is always available at the end of our worship time together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, take and eat the body of your Savior, Jesus. Take, drink the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for your sins. In his love, you are strengthened. You are made whole. You're healed. Praise God.